You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with our Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko of Cote St. Luke's most stellar congregation, Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Rabbi Popko, I, I finally feel like we are true brothers in weather. As you know, the uh, incredible freezing storms that have blanketed this great country. Um, how's the weather up there? It's a cold and everything is normal. The truth is, is that, you know, we're, we're not as hale and hearty as we once were. There's places uh, throughout the South that have been so paralyzed by the ice that there has been mail delivery for five or six days. So, you know, there is something about getting used to being tough and being able to deal when uh, things become uh, difficult. And I, I guess that is a very awkward segue into what's happening in the halls of Washington. You know, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. This has been sort of like a, a renaissance for people in their 70, late 70s and 80s who uh, holds forth on the Senate floor, but none other than that fellow who spent a summer on a kibbutz in Israel, that proud Jew, supposedly, Bernie Sanders himself, who says, it's not going to take one penny away from the monies that we are appropriating for Israel. However, Bernie Sanders demanded, of course it was defeated, but Bernie Sanders demanded that the bill that would give sorely needed money to the to our Medina, our beloved state, be tied to a Senate investigation to make sure that the weapons that we would be sending would not be involved in war crimes in Gaza. All right, listen, there's a whole bunch of stuff we got to talk about here. Number one, Bernie is overcorrecting because at the beginning he wasn't as anti-Israel as he usually is, meaning after October 7th. And so he's overcorrecting now to... uh you know, for his, uh, you know, progressive base. The other thing is, listen, Bernie Sanders is an old guy and he's driven by impulses that are at this point anachronistic. Uh, his political worldview hasn't evolved since he's uh, 18 years old. And, and, and again, those impulses are dangerous. Let me give you one example. And I think it's really the best example. And I'm going to read the quote exactly. This is from... Um, April of 2016. You may recall that in 2016, he was running for president. And Bernie Sanders uh, was at the Apollo Theater in New York. He was reaching out to the minority communities in New York, and he had a, in, you know, right before, next, it was it was a week before the New York state primary, in the, you know, the Democratic primary in the, in the election year of 2016. And at the end of the uh, event, the uh, he asked for questions. And the first question went like this, and I'm reading, I'm reading, this is a quote, this is, a, this is verbatim. A guy gets up in the audience of the Apollo Theater and says to Bernie Sanders, as you know, the Zionist Jews, they run the Federal Reserve, they run Wall Street. What is your affiliation to the, your Jewish community? That's all I'm asking. And what does he answer? Now, we all know what any normal politician would answer in that situation. Republican or Democrat, Jew or, or, or Gentile, they would all answer the same way. They'd say, we're not going to tolerate that kind of talk here. Next question, please. 
That's what anybody would say. What does Bernie say? When he's asked a flamboyantly anti-Semitic question about one of the oldest Jewish, anti-Jewish canards known to man about Jewish control of the banks. What does Bernie answer? And this is verbatim. No, no, no. That's not what you, you're asking. And then he says, in a complete non sequitur, he's, the next words out of his mouth were, talking about Zionism in Israel, I'm a strong defender of Israel, but I believe we need to pay attention to the needs of the Palestinian people. Close quote. Now, in what, what brain is that not a non sequitur? I need to point out a very important insight into his thinking. When, a, when an African-American at Apollo Theater gets up and asks about Jewish control of the banks, he answers about Israel. And the reason Bernie Sanders does that is because he believes strongly, and I know this from other people on the left, that if there is left-wing anti-Semitism, if there's African-American anti-Semitism, it's for one reason and one reason only because of the behavior of the state of Israel. And therefore, when he gets up and asks that question about Jewish control of the banks, he says, I support Israel, but the Palestinians also have rights. In other words, what I'm trying to point out, till October the 7th, many on the left, and some still are, are in complete denial, were in complete denial about left-wing anti-Semitism. And, and when I, and, but I want to correct that. We think they were in denial. They weren't. What they were is they believe that left-wing people are enlightened and ethical and, and high-minded. And therefore, when animosity towards the Jewish community comes from that sector, it's justified because it's about Israel. They think we deserve left-wing animosity. That's what Bernie is saying in Apollo Theater 2016. He's saying we deserve that because it's really about the Palestinians. Basically, if you hear what he said, he said, it's poshut that Israel is violating human rights and, and, and is making, is basically waging war against the Palestinian people and killing them indiscriminately. My only shyla is, where is American weapons being used? And that needs to be, there needs, that the proof needs to be there. There has to be a study. Isn't it geferlach that memeyayach, from our own midst, we have the machrevayach, right? We have Bernie standing up and being this voice. And uh, it, it really is quite, quite terrible. Unfortunately, he's not alone. Unfortunately, on every campus where there is strident anti-Israel uh, activity going on, there's always a handful of Jews who are, uh, who are collaborating and often leading uh, these efforts. Groups like Jewish Voices for Peace, uh, groups like that, Ben the Ark is like that. To me, what what this reminds me of is the Jews in Germany or, you know, Berlin or Budapest uh, in the 19th century who uh, converted to Christianity to relieve themselves of the burden uh, and stigma of being a Jew, uh, thinking it would buy the entree into the non-Jewish world, uh, joining the universal, meaning that's what Christianity was in Europe. It was the universal and abandoning the particular the parochial, and uh, and they wanted to extricate themselves from the Jewish community. Today, in the twenty first century, when the when the dominant definition of being Jewish is the state of Israel, this is simply a twenty first century version of of apostasy. 
This is Schmad, what it meant to join the Christian church in the 19th century. That's what it means to join BDS and apartheid week and anti-Israel demonstrations today. This is a way for, for, for Jews to say, I'm, I'm leaving, right? Don't not, you know, paint me with the same brush as the other Jews. I have now escaped the stigma. I'm joining you. And, uh, and we know, uh, the ultimate result of that. As infuriating, you know, they are, and as, what, and as a nuisance that they might be today, we, we know the end of that story. The end of that story is, you know, there's a church in the Warsaw Ghetto to accommodate the Mishumadim, uh, the apostates, and uh, they were hated by the Germans for being Jews and by the Jews for being traitors. And, uh, and that's where they're left, and then that, that's how they end up. I wonder if Bernie went to Israel and, and, and saw that 45-minute film with the, the horrors of what uh, Hamas wrought upon our people. You wonder about that. And I guess the other thing I would say cynically, what is he gaining from all of this? You know, the guy's old. He's, made a, he's put away some money through from his campaigns and other things. Is it just, you know, nobody wants to step out of the limelight? I think this is really a good segue that, you know, you wonder here, you have these spokespersons, as I mentioned before, men in their late 70s, men approaching 80. It, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's strange that they don't want to uh, relinquish the podium. Speaking about old codgers, uh, Trump Biden once again, is, I'm sure that's the way you read the tea leaves as well, right? In terms of there's, in terms of what happened in the Iowa caucuses this week. You know, listen, we have a unique candidacy here. We have Donald Trump running, He's been president before, but he's not the incumbent. Um, you have, but you, you, so you have two people who have served as president campaigning against each other to be a president again, in Biden's case, in consecutive terms. And, um, you have clear polling, which demonstrates that many Republicans were on the verge of moving on from Trump. And what has energized his campaign and saved his campaign and what has breathed life into his candidacy are all these prosecutions by Democratic prosecutors in New York and in Georgia and in Washington, D.C., who are going after him for uh, Stormy Daniels, you know, election manipulation, uh, fomenting uh, the violence on January 6th, uh, civil fraud trial in New York. Right. You have all these cases coming up against them. E. Jean Carroll on a defamation suit. All of these cases have done nothing but elevate Trump. For many Republican voters who are ready to move on, uh, said they're going after my guy. My guy's going to have me. You know, I'm going to have my guys back. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure if it's love of Trump, but I think when Trump says they're coming for you next, I think that rings the bell. I think this indicates a abuse of power in many people's mind by Biden and the Justice Department. I mean, it was leaked from the Biden White House that Biden wanted, you know, Merrick Garland to move forward. There's no question the White House met with the prosecutor in Georgia. We know all these, these aren't conspiracy theories. This is, you know, right. being reported in the mainstream media. And we know all of this. And, and coming on the heels of the Russian collusion uh, investigation, which turned out to be, uh, you know, n- nothing. Uh, coming on the heels of that, they're rallying around Trump because Trump is, they see Trump as being victimized by politicized prosecutions. By the way, there are many thoughtful people, not nutcases, 
who believed the following, I think they now may regret it, who believed last year that the only Republican Biden could beat was Trump and that any normal Republican, Nikki Haley or whoever, would easily destroy him, as the polls show. And given that, the Democrats uh, maybe knew what they were doing, and they were trying to elevate Trump. They did it openly in the congressional elections, where in Republican primaries, Democratic money flowed to the lunatic candidates, the Trumpian candidates, to make sure they would be the opponent and then lose the election. Now they may regret it because... Well, last year's polling showed, uh, you know, Biden beating Trump. The polls no longer show that. The polls now show Trump beating Biden. We're in a bizarre situation where the only Democrat Trump can beat is Biden, and the only Republican Biden can beat is Trump. After the debate of DeSantis and Nikki Haley and their second and third place showings in Iowa, both of them were asked if they would support Donald Trump as the nominee. And both of them said yes. Both of them said, which means that it seems like, other than the neocons, Trump is going to get the backing of you know, people from the Republican Party. I mean, and and what we're I think we're also going to hear, and I mentioned this to you, I think a couple of years ago, and I, I, that we're also going to hear labeling by the Democrats, even moderate Democrats, that anyone who is supporting Trump is a fascist or supports a fascist regime. Part of the problem the Democrats have is they've been calling Republican opponents Nazis for way too long, and the word has lost any meaning. I mean, you know, they, they, they called George Bush a racist. They, Truman called Dewey a Nazi. I mean, you go, I mean, this goes back a really long time. That anyone who doesn't vote for Biden is obviously wants a fascist, totalitarian regime in the United States. Listen, Here's the tragedy of American politics. The tragedy of American politics is that since George Bush's second election, since the 2004 election, uh, politics have changed dramatically. Karl uh, Rove, a brilliant political strategist, went to George W. Bush before the election and said, listen, normally, what do you do in a campaign? You try to broaden your base, right? You reach out. And he told them that would be a mistake because, remember, many people were angry at Bush, the Iraq war, whatever, all this stuff. And he said that the strategy has to be to energize your base, not broaden it. And and he was proven right in 2004. Sure. And, and that, that's exactly what Obama did in 2012. Obama did nothing to expand his base. What he did was he made sure that the same coalition that – really pushed him over the top and it didn't you know was there again and he, he appealed to them consistently during his uh, re-election campaign and and when um listen Trump certainly didn't do anything when he was in office after the 2016 election did nothing to broaden his base he did nothing to uh, try to assuage some of the fears that moderates had about him he did nothing he was all about riling up his base and well, I, I bring that up now because in, in, the, in the upcoming election, uh, both uh, what Biden believes he has to do is not reach out to conservatives or moderates. He's not doing any of that, right? Uh, the minority tail of the party, the progressives, the Bernie Sanders, the AOCs have dictated much of his agenda with a few exceptions, like on Israel. And he's doing everything possible to paint 
Trump as a threat to democracy, a threat to abortion rights, and to rile and, and to get his his own base to turn up on election day. He's just he's you know and 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 to energize the base. And again, instead of having a uh, to moderate like Bill Clinton did when he bashed the, the black rapper and he tried to reach out to, to, to moderates and to prove his law and order credentials, right? Like the politicians used to do uh, George Bush trying to reach out in his first election, calling himself a compassionate conservative, right? This idea that you try to broaden your base that's gone from American politics only to our detriment. Right. And, and Trump certainly isn't doing anything to reach out. Let, let me just let me just push a little bit on that. I, I've, I've, I've heard. And again, I have not taken the time to listen to anything in totality. But the sound bites of Trump in this comfortable town hall and things he's been saying, he isn't this strident mongering of fear. It seems like Trump is settled a little bit. People have praised his performance. He isn't going off script to the point that he's to his detriment. He's actually being charming and even in a way forgiving of people who are running against him. I mean, listen, there's two Trumps. There's the Trump that's scripted, and then there's the Trump at three in the morning on on his on Truth Social when he goes bananas. I mean, look, if if it is looking like the like a possibility, at least a fifty fifty toss up, that Trump does the most amazing comeback probably in political history of the United States, could you imagine? A, a a governance of Trump that will be stable and back to things the way they were in 2018 and 2019? I, I happen to have a lot of faith in the American democratic system that uh, even though no one normal will go to work for him, he's not going to have, we're not going to have the guardrails of normal people around him like we had in his first presidency. Jared Kushner is not going back to the White House Rex Tillerson's not going back. Mattis ain't going back. Right, the normal people aren't going back, uh, and I still believe that there's enough, you know, there's enough within the structure to uh, restrain his worst impulses. Uh, I think there'll be massive deregulation. I, I don't know what's going to happen in foreign affairs. I, you know, I, listen. What we all know about Trump is he loves nothing and he loves no one. He only he only thinks about himself, and. He's now mad at Bibi because Bibi had the audacity to call Joe Biden and congratulate him on his election victory, as if Israel had any other choice, right? And and he's busy being mad at Bibi. So if Bibi's still prime minister when Trump is there, it's hard to predict what the relationship will be. But how's he going to treat Ukraine and Russia? How's he going to treat China? Um, I mean, he, he's erratic. How's What's he going to do with NATO? We need NATO now more than ever. And, and, and the stuff he has said about NATO in the past is deeply concerning. So uh, who knows what, what his policies are going to be. But uh, I'm not afraid for American democracy. We, you know, uh, we'll survive four years of Trump. I have to tell you, the other thing is not only that people are afraid of the abuse of power. I think everybody is, is recognizing how weak their, their paychecks are. I think everybody is recognizing uh, the extreme costs that have that have shot skyrocketed the, the how money has become valueless in some areas despite you know the job numbers i think that the there's there's people who will vote not for trump not just because they like the idea of making america great or keeping america great but they actually realize just like i think ronald reagan said are you worse off now than you were 4 years ago and i think many many people are answering yes 
we are. Right. Listen, what's, what's most worrying the Biden, Biden campaign right now is that the traditional constituencies of the Democratic Party that they had the luxury of taking for granted, like African-Americans, Hispanics, they're abandoning the Democratic Party. Every poll shows a significant drop in Hispanic and black support for Biden. And without that, the Democrats can't win. Listen, they're going to run the same campaign they ran four years ago, which is it's not about voting for Biden. It's about voting against Trump. And uh, it's about conjuring up the worst fears of the excesses of a potential Trump administration. Uh, they'll resurrect Char- Charlottesville. They'll, they'll resurrect all the old stories. And unfortunately, Trump, given his habits, will probably give them more ammunition along the way with the stuff he'll say. And, and that'll be the campaign. And the, uh, and, the, and the Trump campaign will be the economy stinks. America has lost its prestige in the world. Uh, and uh, and th- that'll be the campaign. And, and, and part of the problem, I think, is other than, you know, Emeritus Rex and some other programs, people, when they want to sort of get, put their ear to the ground, are going to be hearing extremely uh, prejudicial and one-sided versions of who's who and what's what. You know, one of the things I do when, I, when we ready ourselves for this, for this podcast is see what's going on, what is percolating. And I check CNN's five things. I don't know if you ever do that. They have the five major stories of today. And one of the major stories was what's happening at the border. And this, I think, by the way, although you didn't mention it, I think is another reason why. Oh, you. You're absolutely right. So that may be the number one issue. Inflation in the border. Absolutely. Right. The border and, and people who don't live in the Northeast. And I hear about it all the time here in New York about the hotels and the schools that are especially during the winter storm, that were, that were housing illegal immigrants that have been shipped from the border here to New York. And many of the, the, the emptier apartment buildings have been reconverted into places for illegal immigrants who have crossed the Rio Grande and other things in such a dangerous fashion and have been taken here. And this, of course, has been uh, the Biden administration's policies. I mean- I mean, one thing the Democrats have failed terribly at, right? What do they try to do? They try to paint anybody who is skeptical about immigration as a racist, that it can be driven by nothing but racism. Most Americans, by the way, most Hispanic Americans believe that countries should control their border. And that asylum claimants, which we all 90% are false, you know, shouldn't be allowed in the country to have a court date three years later. I mean, the whole thing is the border is in a state of complete collapse. And the Democrats actually, this is again an example of what I said before about them being beholden to the most progressive elements of their own party, where they, where, where, where they had ample opportunity to clamp down. And they did nothing but inspire more illegal immigration by their, uh, by, by their welcoming posture. It's insanity what's going on at the border. CNN says this main story is that Texas is sort of like militia-like, like Waco, fighting against the the wonderful Department of Homeland Security that just wants to deal in a compassionate humanitarian way with the people who are crossing the border and and dying. And Texas is not allowing the Department of Homeland Security access to those places. And CNN says that you can see that the Attorney General of Texas, Kenneth Baxson, is 
is taking out the Alamo gun and saying, Texas will not surrender. And I show, and I sent this to you before we started recording, and I'm reading the letter that Paxton sent. There's a very well-reasoned, yes, there's a lot of passion in it, reason why Texas is, Texas will allow emergency crews if, uh, if, there is a, if there's a health issue, but you know, they believe that they have the right to defend themselves from what they call invasion, and they are a sovereign state. They also point out that the, the, the reports that somehow these people died uh, in Texas, and now, and it's because it's, it's not true, they died crossing from Mexico and the bodies were recovered in Mexico. I know that sounds like a small point, but, but the idea is, I think, that the, the states like Texas, states like Arizona, I'm not going to say California, they, there's a lot of people in those states. And uh, as you said, their, their opposition to open borders uh, is something that is, is, is important. And I think the idea of, of the states uh, being able to turn to the Department of Homeland Security and say, you've got to enforce the Constitution. Don't accuse us of being these gun-toting militia people. And, and I think that message is going to be strong. That message, I think, is going to, to resonate. Just a, another little asterisk on, the, on this story. Uh, I noticed that the letter was to Jonathan Meyer. And a little Google search showed me that Jonathan Meyer, who is the, who is the general counsel to the Department of Homeland Security, is the son of the famous reform HUC professor and writer, Michael A. Meyer. Uh, his mom is a reformer. By the way, not to be confused with Mike Myers of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it's Mike Myers, yes. A yeah. lot of people confuse the two. I mean... Yeah, and I know that there were there were times you wanted to reach out over the aisle to sort of like talk to Michael Meyer about one of his one of his essays uh, that he won the National Book Award for, and instead <laughs> you got you got Michael you got Mike Myers doing his his Shrek voice, right? <laughs> you know, by the way, that um, that Shrek originally was supposed to be Chris Farley. Did you know that? Oh no, I didn't know that. They actually had recorded, I think, a quarter or half of the film. With Chris Farley, and if you think about it, Chris Farley is 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 a great choice for this ugly ogre who's really got a great heart. But once right. once Chris Farley died of an overdose, they decided to put you know they asked Mike Myers to be Shrek, and he decided to do it with a with a uh, with a Scottish brogue, you know. And movie history was changed there. Uh, my point is, the Department of Homeland Security is a nice little haven for Jews. Mayorkas is a is a nice Jew. Mayorkas is Jewish, yeah, yeah. yeah Mayorkas is a Jewish guy, and uh, I think the very first one was also he was a New Jerseyite, right? The very first Homeland Security guy, he was the son of a, a rabbi as well. So this has been a, a nice area for for uh, for Jews to get some to get some parnosa. Let's let's end today with uh, our predictions. I think. Uh, Last week, your broch on the Packers was chal. They definitely uh, uh, made mincemeat out of the vaunted Dallas Cowboys. That team didn't show up. It was a terrible – the Cowboys were terrible. There's no yeah. broch. There's no spirit on that sideline. Nothing. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you think you're, you know, you're great and then you end up falling behind 27 nothing, it's, it's hard to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. But do the Packers have a chance against the 49ers? You know what? I, again, this show will drop after the, the, the game. I can't see it. The 49ers have been the Packers' kryptonite, and especially uh, this version of the 49ers. Uh, to me, 
Christian McCaffrey alone would be a reason to feel that the 49ers are going to win. But he, reminds, know, he reminds me of myself as a young man. Yes, yes. He definitely has the smooth Pupko moves. What would you say? <laughs> but speaking about smooth moves of, of, of someone, I have to say that, and, and speaking the way we, we used to play football way back when, that run of Josh Allen is so schoolyard perfect, isn't it? I know it's hard for you, but just think about it if it wasn't Steelers there. That idea that the quarterback is like scrambling, but instead of scrambling, he takes the he puts the ball in and he just bowls over people and runs fifty something yards. He was he was he was doing a clip about he was doing quite a clip. I, I, I like Josh Allen a lot. I think he's a um he is uh, as you said, he he's he's look But Buffalo's gonna lose this week to Kansas City, no? In Buffalo, you think so? Yeah. You, you think Mahomes match? Mahomes was so good last week. Oh. But I got to tell you, Jordan Love looked unbeatable. I mean, the guy was flinging that ball from every the back off the back foot. I mean, everything. He has, a, he has an unconventional throwing style. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Look, I, I, what I would say is like this. Unfortunately, I'm going to say my predictions are 49ers are going to win Saturday night. I think you, you got to, of course, uh, assume that um, Baltimore is going to beat, beat up on Houston. I got to tell you, but this C.J. Stroud, again, I would just like to point out the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Baltimore Ravens twice this year. I, I think the Steelers fell prey to injuries and other things. What do you think, D- Detroit and Tampa? Oh, that's a great game. That's going to be a great – these are great games. It's a great weekend of football. Again, I, it's hard for me to be besimcha over Detroit's resurgence. You know, I'm still remembering Dan Campbell say we're going to break people's kneecaps if we have to. So, what's our prediction on Detroit? Uh, Detroit, Tampa. Detroit. Detroit takes it. Yeah, yeah. So, I think we got the NFC Championship game is going to be Detroit, San Francisco, which which should be uh, an interesting one. And then it's going to be, according to you, it's going to be KC versus Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to go with the Bills. I think it's going to. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be the Bills. Uh, against Baltimore, I think that's going to be great. By the way, what the heck is a ba- Buffalo Bill? Okay, take care, everybody. Be well. If you have an answer there, please, please tell us. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom. Mm-hmm.